You are listening to KC Sports Network, proudly presented by Emprise Bank. Coming up, the latest episode of Three Mall. Hello and welcome into another edition of Three Ma. I am John Kurtz, joined as always by the full crew. We've got him back. Uh, Cole Manbeck from the Manhattan Mercury, uh, former Manhattan Mercury beat writer, Manhattan Mercury fame, of course. Derek Young from K-State Online, uh, all here with you to break down K-State getting clubbed around a little bit in uh, Houston, 74-52, fell behind 11 to nothing, and uh, just was... One of those days where you may have felt like you needed a little bit of something, and uh, hopefully you reached for your Ben Holiday bottled in Bond bourbon or your 360 vodka from our friends at Holiday Distillery, who are great K-State folks who support us and support the cats through thick and thin, so make sure that you support them as well. At Ben Holiday bottled in Bond bourbon, always drawing rave reviews, uh, but make sure you hook up 360 vodka as well. Yeah, kind of one of those days, man. You played a team that I think is probably national champion good, uh, to me, would still be the favorite to win the Big 12 right now, understanding that Bill Self always seems to get things figured out and that Texas Tech is technically right now in first place in the in the Big 12 standings. We've seen now Tech and Houston play K-State, both in road environments, and uh, there's, there's no contest as to who looked like the better team. Jerome Tang said it might be the best defensive team he has ever seen in his comments after the game, so... Just a game that you were never really in. You know, I'll quote actually Fran Frischilla here, who said it was kind of like TKO or, or knocked out in the first round. Uh, that's basically what happened with the 11 to nothing deficit that K-State fell into. And by the way, patreon.com slash 3 if you want to hear a 10-minute conversation that I had with Fran Frischilla about everything that's happening with K-State and Iowa State and TJ Otzelberger and all of that, uh, patreon.com slash 3 to get that. I thought it was very interesting. Um, you may not like everything that he has to say, but very interesting stuff uh, from Fran Fraschilla there. Anyway, it was just uh, it was a game that it never felt like K State was very competitive in DY. No, uh, and it was kind of foreseeable, I thought, just because of the intensity and the emotions that were poured into the Iowa State game, the, the lingering distractions afterward. You're playing the team that's been number one in Ken Palm, I think, for weeks and weeks at this point in their own building where they have been particularly dominant. Go look at what Houston's done this year, um, particularly in the Big 12, right? And Kansas State is far from the only team to suffer that kind of result. I mean, UCF lost by 15 going through here. Texas Tech played Houston in Houston at the Partita Center, lost by 23. Uh, West Virginia lost by 34. So... This is a team that's been really dominant at home. Again, Kim Palm number one and probably a terrible matchup. Not probably, definitely a terrible matchup for Kansas State in terms of when you look at a team's strengths versus the other's weakness as Houston. Uh, really good defense. Kansas State sputtering a little bit on the offensive side of the ball, turning the ball over a lot. Houston forces a lot of turnovers. Kansas State going through a slump here on the defensive glass. Houston's amazing on the offensive glass. So it was a poor matchup at the at a poor time. And I thought this was pretty foreseeable. And, you know, unfortunately, someone said, you know, obviously Kansas State was a 14 and a half point underdog going into that. And I said, I wouldn't have been surprised or, or been 
turned off if they were 20, 24 and a half point underdogs, just because that felt like a game. And now they would have covered if they were, but that just felt like a, a game where that, that was always going to be the result based on what had just happened prior in the week, how good Houston is where and where it's at. You want to talk about a brutal week to have is having to play on the road against Ken Palm's number one defense and Ken Palm's number three defense in the country. And that's just such a grind to have to do that. And then the quick turnaround from the Wednesday night 8 p.m. tip to going down to Houston and playing in a physical, physical game against a Houston team that you mentioned at DY might be the best defense in a long time that uh, Jerome Tang mentioned after the game. And look, Fran Fraschel actually tweeted this out earlier this morning. He said he checked with his friend Ken Pomeroy and the Houston numbers indicate it's the best defense relative to the national average in many, many years. And it's occurring in a season where the national average and offensive efficiency is the best in history. And look, it compares this Houston defense. It's better than the 2019 Texas Tech team, 2015 Kentucky, 2018 Virginia, and 1997 Kentucky. So really, if you look at that chart, best defense in more than two decades. So it's, I mean, look, they, they play so incredibly physical. They're tough. They rotate. They're terrific. And, um, Look, K-State, there's no secret, has struggled offensively. And to have to go up against the number one Ken Palm defense in a long, long time is a mismatch, obviously, for K-State. And then, obviously, you mentioned the other thing. I mean, K-State's last in the Big 12 in, in defensive rebounding at the 275th in the country going into Saturday. Houston offensive boarded 40% of their misses on the season. That's number one in the Big 12, sixth in the country. Houston was second in the Big 12 and third nationally, forcing turnovers. K-State came into the... Uh, the game last in the Big 12 and 341st nationally in turnover rate. So just uh, their their strengths, their extreme strengths were extreme weaknesses for K-State. And uh, that's just how it played out. Not a big surprise necessarily. And now you just got to rebound and try to go 2-0 and this week. And, and I think it's it's fair to offer some perspective here. You guys have already outlined the how the strengths and weaknesses matched up. But also, I mean, just Houston at home – is a complete buzzsaw to anybody that's going there right now. West Virginia lost by 34. Texas Tech lost by 23. Um, UCF lost by 15. I, you know, somehow UCF. Still crazy to me after seeing them in that game in Manhattan, but they they have the best performance of anybody in the Big 12 on the road there so far. But they're, they're just clubbing people uh, in that building. So you're going on the road to play the best defensive team in the country, perhaps a historically good defense. I'm not going to lose sleep over that. We know that this team can beat almost anybody at home and that it's going to be really difficult to pull away road games in the Big 12. So I just I want to offer that up because I know, you know, it's social media and people in the heat of the moment are frustrated and, and whatnot. I, I get it. But there's no need to, in my humble opinion, overreact very much at all to what to what happened on Saturday in that game. Yeah, no, I mean, like John, the the three prior Big 12 games, Houston's average margin of victory and home games in those three was 24. And they had not, they had won every home game this year. They had won by 15 points or more. So you saw that spread of 14 and a half. I was trying to tell some people before the game, I'm like, well, I mean, they've won every game by 15 or more at home. They're incredibly tough to play there. Um, May not seem like the most daunting atmosphere. So it came across better than I thought on TV. It did. When I watched the game, I mean, it was pretty good atmosphere, especially for an 11 a.m. tip. I didn't expect that necessarily. And so, um, they look, they're, they're really tough to play there. I think they've maybe lost like three or four times at home in the last three, four seasons. And I know they were playing in the American athletic conference, but 
uh, still just, um, that, that's a tough, tough spot for Kansas state. And, uh, hopefully they can bounce back. They, they played some young guys, a few more minutes in this game, you know, day to Ames, RJ Jones, both played double figures minutes. Uh, so hopefully it helps them grow playing against that style. Uh, and, uh, you got Tyler Perry, a little more rest as it seemed like that was maybe part of the plan. Once things got a little out of hand, he only played 24 minutes a season low. Nobody likes it, but sometimes you do have to kind of get your butt kicked to put you back in, in a spot, uh, to, you know, go forward, uh, to kind of recalibrate and reassess what you're doing. I, I think sometimes getting your butt kicked can be a good thing. And I, even if it doesn't feel good while it's happening. And I don't think that anything during that week losses both in Ames and Houston is necessarily an indictment on this Kansas State basketball team. Uh, Kansas just lost to Ames as well. Uh, winning on the road is tough for one. But two, it's not an indictment on what Kansas State is doing or what they are as a team right now, but it does underscore how silly and costly that, that loss at Texas Tech's going to feel moving forward. Yeah, it, it does. And look, I, I just, I think to your point, like nothing that happened last week changes what the expectation really was for this team. It's just a, like, you know, I remember having that, that came up just briefly. Maybe it was on a Patreon show, a Q and a that we did a couple weeks ago after the hot start, like, you know, someone, I mean, what about big 12 Tyler? Are we talking? And I'm like, look, I mean, no, Nothing against this team, but I don't think anybody that has their head on straight has delusions of grandeur that they're going to be in the running for a Big 12 championship. If you're trying to make the tournament, get to nine wins in the league. This is not something... The, the only thing that could have happened this week is you could have taken a massive, unexpected step forward. I don't think there was really a way to, to take a step back as long as, yeah, you learn from it and don't let this, don't let this beat you twice. I mean, they just... It was another thing I was talking to Fran about the other day, again, patreon.com slash Fremont, but... He's just like, yeah, man. I mean, he's like, without Naquan Tomlin, um, and he didn't even mention Quest Glover, but he, he was like, without Naquan Tomlin, like, they just, they don't really have the horses to compete with a team like like Houston, um, particularly on the road. And I, I think that's that's definitely true. That's really the long and short of it. So I, I guess the question then becomes, like, what, what are tangible things you can take away from this game? You know? I mean, Cam Carter had a solid game. He was the one guy that really seemed to be able to score. Um, you know, Kaluma was okay with 11 points, four of nine shooting. Tyler Perry gives you three points, one of five, um, which I think we kind of expected that was going to be a really difficult matchup for him, uh, with how they are able to defend. Day Day Ames did have basically his best game that we've seen him play 17 minutes, 11 points, though a decent amount of that was in garbage time. Like, I don't, are there tangible takeaways here? I guess, Cole, I'll, I'll start with you there. What do you feel like are tangible takeaways from the game? Mm hmm. Probably not a lot. I mean, really, the things that you just highlighted that uh, my thought R.J. Jones made a couple tough, nice shots. But again, a lot of this was in garbage time. Day uh, Day, I thought, played the best game that he's played in quite a while. I actually thought Day Day over the last two games, you know, took a step forward, both at Iowa State and at Houston. And so hopefully that ascension continues and he continues to grow, maybe sitting out with that injury for a couple games and just seeing the game from the bench and watching it slow down from there has maybe helped him. Uh, so, you know, you hope for that. But outside of that, I mean, there's to me, there's not a lot of positives. Uh, to be candid, I, I can't think of anything else that uh, I would really necessarily highlight. It was just a struggle all around. 
Well, I, see, I, would, I was at like, like positives or negatives, like in terms of the takeaways, like things, things that matter to the uh, rest of the season. Obviously there were negatives, but like things that are not just match up and opponent dependent there in that game. I don't, I don't think so because I, I like I said, I, th- I think it was all foreseeable based on the matchup and the timing of this game. So I don't think that there's any huge groundbreaking conclusions to take from this performance, to be quite honest. If anything, I would just say sometimes, and these are college age kids, right? Sometimes you need your you need to get your ass kicked to kind of refocus and kind of dig in and and really, you know, put your head in the the last couple legs of this season. So, if anything, maybe an, an ass kicking like this gets someone really revved up and and going the rest of the year. But aside from something like that, I just. I think this was all foreseeable and expected. No really big conclusions. Yeah, I mean, the biggest conclusion I have going into Saturday was just how competitive K-State has been on the road and tough environments until this game. I mean, you're you're in a, what, one-score game or tied with Iowa State with around four minutes left in Ames, which not a lot of teams are going to be in that position. You had the Texas Tech game in Lubbock. You had them on the ropes, should have won it. Uh, you blew out West Virginia and Morgantown. They're proving to be very tough to play when they're at home. So this team has been good on the road up until Saturday. Probably, you know, to be honest with you, surprised me with how competitive they've been in some of these road situations. So I think this was just running into a buzzsaw against Houston, and I think you just flush it and uh, just one of those days and you move forward. Buzzsaw, and, and I think based on – you know, starting to play that road, road gauntlet a little bit, maybe, you know, hair out of gas. Um, and oh, let's not mistake this too. And and I'm not trying to use it as a crutch or an excuse or say their head wasn't where it needed to be, but there, you know, there were some distractions after the Iowa state game that kind of spilled into the time in between two games that could have contributed at least a little bit as well. Well, I'm glad you said that because it leads perfectly into where I was going next. Not just that, you know, but we had Jerome Tang commented about officials in the post game again. So I, I want to kind of get into that, like everything that's happening outside of just what is occurring on the floor during games. Uh, but first, a word from our friends at Homefield Apparel, who have the best college gear of anybody around. You can get not only 100 plus teams out there, of course, they have K State covered with 40 plus items. You see us frequently wearing them here. If you're watching on YouTube, uh, you'll see them frequently in Bramlage Coliseum. If you're going to games the rest of the year, if you are going to the Oklahoma game, perhaps on your way to the Oklahoma game right now, make sure that you don't show up to another game this year without your home field apparel gear. Uh, it is not only very comfortable, but it's very cool. It's what all the kids are wearing. So get to homefieldapparel.com and use promo code 3Mod23 for 15% off your first order. We've got you hooked up. So do our friends at homefieldapparel.com. We're back in just a moment. We appreciate you supporting KC Sports Network by listening to our podcast. You have helped us become the highest ranked Chiefs podcast network in 2022 and 2023. And don't forget about our daily Substack newsletter, the best written analysis you can find on the Chiefs straight to your inbox every day. KCSN.substack.com. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, 
and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, so here are the comments that Jerome Tang made to uh, the media after the game. He was being asked about a technical foul that he got late in the game. So I know, you know, it was like a 20-plus point margin at that point. The game was well out of hand, and it was a little surprising. Like, all right, well, this is now a second straight game where Jerome Tang has picked up a technical foul. He probably should not have gotten the one that he did at Ames, not only because of the call that elicited his reaction, but the reaction was pretty tame. Um but he gets this one, and we didn't really see on TV what happened or if it was something he said. So this is a tweet from Kellis Robinette. He said, Jerome Tang wasn't happy about his technical foul today. Uh, said lead official Gary Maxwell was chirping at Cam Carter during the game. He thought that was inappropriate, so he told Maxwell to act like an adult. Then he got a T. Uh, thinks Big 12 refs need to be held more accountable. Follow-up tweet said, what exactly did lead official Gary Maxwell say to Cam Carter? Uh, Jerome Tang, quote, he told Cam Carter that if he wasn't quiet, he would get him out of the game and then proceeded to call two ticky-tack fouls on him. I'm always going to defend my guys. Now, for what it is worth, Cam Carter then threw up a tweet after the game that I'm going to paraphrase here, but said like, hey, I love my family. They've always got my back. So clearly Cam Carter appreciated that. And um, maybe that's a reference to the fact that he had family members at the game because that was closer to where he was from. But I thought maybe there's some correlation there. Um, either way, it's just, you know, we've had a lot going on between everything with controversial officiating, which I'm, I'm fully supportive of what happened in Ames. I mean, the missed elbow on, on Lipsy hitting Finister was very bad. Um, and I think there probably have been some consequences from that case. They'd had a very good point with that one. And then you go into Houston and there's another technical and more officials. And in between that, obviously there's all the Sygate stuff happening with uh, accusations allegedly behind the scenes, according to reports about what K-State felt like was happening there in Ames. I just, there is a lot that's happening outside of just basketball and for a team that's already dealt with a ton of distractions. 
not only like injuries to Quez Glover and others throughout the year, but of course the Naquan Tomlin situation. It's just been a year where it is it has been about far more than basketball. It seems like there are always other things going on. So to your point, DY, like how much do you think all that stuff swirling right now is a problem? Does Jerome Tang need to worry about getting a reputation with officials if he's going to start mentioning things like that in press conferences? Like I just that that perked my ears up a little bit to hear that that he said that. One, uh, Tom Gilbert's earning his paycheck this year with all those stuff he's, that he's helping to navigate from a media perspective. So uh, shout out to Tom for that. Two, um, on iso- in, in isolation, don't have a problem with what Jerome Tang did in either situation. Um, three, I, I doubt anything comes of the Iowa State thing. I just, get, do I think something was probably going on? Absolutely. Do I think anything's going to come of it? Probably not, other than Iowa State probably stopped whatever the, it was that they were doing. <laughs> and I think, you know, T.J. Otzenberger using a press conference to really grandstand on that is, well, I don't, I didn't particularly love that, um, but it is what it is. In terms of a reputation with officials that you suggested, if, if anything, uh, like the way I would look at it is now officials feel like a little bit on edge like if they because i mean jerome ting calls out an official specific official during a press conference all eyes are on that official moving forward um i don't think jerry pollard got a great you know um result from what happened in iowa state either and you know that so i if anything i think jerome ting some of what he has been doing might be getting a better whistle going forward that that would be my reaction to it all in general because we're seeing distraction after just distraction, I do think it that human nature it's going to catch up at some point. I think it it is starting to have an impact. And though I don't disagree with anything that has transpired, if if I was in a place to make a suggestion to Kansas State at at this moment, I would say we should probably try to get back to the basketball because I think the other stuff is probably creating a little bit larger of a cloud than than you really want. Look, I have no doubt that Gary Maxwell said what he did. You guys know my thoughts on Gary Maxwell. I think I told you why. Hang on, hang on. I got, I got to tell a little story here to everybody. Okay, so I, I will just. I had a conversation with somebody about that, and I was like, "Hey, here's kind of like what I was told about Maxwell, and like that, you know, he maybe tries to do some preventative officiating or whatever." I couldn't even like get those words out of my mouth before Cole just flies in with like, "That's bullshit." <laughs> like, I just you. <laughs> Right at me, I was like, "Hey, dude, don't shoot the messenger." I'm just telling you what was relayed to I, me, man. I wasn't going to shoot you on that. I was just shutting that down right away because preventive officiating, my ass. Gary Maxwell incites people that he is looking for a fight on the court. He's done it all the time. I told everybody before the Baylor game, he's the guy that threw students out in the first row of the Texas game last year. He is looking for a fight uh, out there on the court, and so I have no doubt that he did that. This guy does not belong in the ranks of calling this, uh, he can't even keep up with the game anymore anyways. I mean, he can't get up and down the court, watch him. He's going to pull a hamstring at some point this year. So, and the game would be better off for it if he does go down with the hamstring pull. So anyways, get, I, <laughs> am I going to get fined? Am I, Are we I injury on people now? Is that what I'm doing? A hamstring, come on. I mean, Gary Maxwell pulling up with a hamstring. I mean, how funny would that be? It'd be great. So anyways, uh, I, I just, I, I can't stand the guy. 
And somebody asked me about the the Kellis had tweeted out the officials' names before the game. They asked me for my thoughts on the officials. I was like, well, it's the same crew that they had in Manhattan for the Baylor game, which is an oddity in itself that all three were the same. But I said, I can't. I don't like Maxwell. That's what I said. And that after the game, Jerome Tang calls him out. Uh, so no surprise that he's doing that. I personally have said for the longest of times, as you guys know, that officials need to be held accountable. They need to be held accountable publicly. We know that Jerry Pollard is probably being held accountable behind the scenes by the Big 12 currently, uh, from what we've learned. But let's make this public. You guys make a lot of money calling these games, game in and game out, and let's uh, let's start making them public. I love that Jerome Tang called him out by name. Now, he probably is going to have to need to dial that back now moving forward. I do worry also about the, the good old boys club of officials now, you know, giving Tang a hard whistle. We'll see. It could go one way or the other. I would certainly hope it wouldn't go that way, but um, some of these guys hold grudges. They're petty, so we'll see. But yeah, yeah, Gary Maxwell, clown. Said it before, we'll continue to. So hopefully we don't see him in Manhattan again this year anywhere. Cole, I, I will just to play devil's advocate, okay? No. I will, I will point out that, and I don't remember the specifics of it, it seems like it's easier to remember when it was a negative call that went against you, but I do remember a moment in overtime of the Baylor game and Scott Drew like really being upset and being like, I feel like Baylor got a bit of a tough whistle there in that Baylor game. I think, you know, I mean, I feel like K State got a little bit of a nudge in the right direction from that crew coming down well, that the was, stretch of the. That was actually Chance Moore that gave him a couple, um, couple calls down the stretch in that game. It wasn't Gary making the calls. You know what Gary does on, and I'm sure some officials do this, but I I hate officials that do it like this. Baylor got an and one in that game, and Gary Maxwell goes, "Boom!" I hate that. You know these guys love the attention. You know when they call charges, when they they do things like that. I I just I you know some of these guys want to be a part of the show. People aren't there to watch them. Gary wants to be a part of the show. So get better, Gary. D.Y., you have any injuries you want to wish on anybody? <laughs> no, I'm good. It's just okay. a hamstring. I didn't wish for him to, you know, break a leg. Just something that sidelines him and he, you know, can't get back on the court this year from. Let me steer us into a less controversial place by talking about everything happening between Jerome Tang and T.J. Otzelberger, Okay. Let's okay. steer away from what Cole is doing into a less controversial place, which is, uh, of course, that. So, I mean, look, I think everybody listening is pretty well aware of what's gone on the, at the under eight media timeout. Uh, something happened that had K-State very fired up. Jerome Tang tried to talk to a, an official. It was Pollard about it. Then it turned into him and TJ Otzelberger yelling at each other. And D.Y., I'm actually kind of curious for your perspective on this because I did have somebody who I know was there um, that is like connected with the team say that it was like Tang didn't really go approach Otzelberger. It was like Otzelberger trying to say something to him and then Tang started coming across. So I, I don't know. Look, I, that's semantics. I don't know. Yeah. That happened. Then after the game in the handshake line, Jerome Tang was clearly yelling at, at Otzelberger about this. We get a story uh, from the Kansas City Star and Wichita Eagle from Kellis Robinette after the game that said that K-State was concerned about Iowa State like peaking in the huddle uh, during the game and potentially, I think he mentioned impossibly even recording the huddle. I don't think that was explicitly laid out like that was happening. I think the wording was possibly. Um, 
Jerome Tang never said anything publicly. He said, hey, I'm going to keep it between, you know, some things that need to be kept between coaches. Um, love TJ, does a great job, blah, blah, blah. Uh, TJ Otzelberger basically took the high road too at his press conference. But then the story comes out in between then, and Iowa State, I guess, felt compelled after all of that to grandstand about it at a press conference. Yes, as you called it, DUI, and did it in the immediate aftermath of beating Kansas, which, you know, I did have to chuckle a little bit at TJ Otzelberger starting it by saying, you know, it's a real shame that after beating Kansas, I have to start by saying this. And I, I wanted to just be like, I, but you know, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't see it done there. I don't, you don't have to. Um, well, are you sure Jamie Pollard? You sure Jamie Pollard didn't have a gun? Maybe. Sure, read, sure read like a statement written from Jamie Pollard. Well, Jamie Pollard did put out a press release, right? And saying it definitely didn't happen, or, or that was a part of a story, too. I don't know. He talked to Seth Davis. Uh, okay. I know that. Seth Davis mentioned it on the pregame show because that broadcast was on CBS. Um, I was like, hey, Seth, thanks for talking to both sides of that story there. But, you know, I digress. Yeah, well, I mean, he starts with a statement, and I'm like, Doug, you didn't, you didn't have to, you didn't have to do this. You, you are voluntarily doing this because there has not been any public ac accusation actually made here. And, and, you know, the other thing that's drawn a lot of discussion about it is, you know, the Iowa State fan reaction is immediately, well, clearly the staff leaked the story. I we don't have proof of that either, and I'm not trying to call anybody's reporting into question, but there are people who are not on the staff that could also have talked to somebody on the staff. You know, there are a million ways that that could go down. I will tell you, I don't believe that Jerome Tang wanted it to get out there in a report like that that then gets aggregated by Sports Illustrated or the dying carcass of Sports Illustrated that's left to regurgitate something out there on the internet. Um, but it really wasn't that big of a deal until Iowa State did talk about it. So their reaction to it, which I can understand to a degree, obviously blew this up a lot more. And here I pulled up the TJ Otzelberger quote. <laughs> here, here we go. Uh, it, it's an incredibly disappointing that after such an awesome game, an awesome environment and atmosphere that I even have to begin by addressing something that happened earlier this week. Again, you didn't. Uh, the ludicrous rumors earlier this week that somehow we were trying to gain an advantage looking into our opponent's huddles is an affront to our is an affront to our players our fans and to me let's put this to bed here and now it didn't happen it won't happen and others need to be much more careful with their words moving forward he also threw in this article doesn't have the specific quote but he also threw in a what is factual and this again is where i thought it was like going a little bit too far again for iowa state to fire back with this when there were not public accusations made but then he comes back with an accusation that what what is the truth, what really happened, is that K-State had an assistant coach who cursed out one of our managers. And there was a tweet about that from Chris Williams, a Cyclone fanatic during the game, who again had said, I don't know what just happened, but a K-State assistant just pointed at Iowa State managers that were sweeping and said, cheating mother bleepers. Um, so that's basically what we have here. Jerome Tang then was approached by C.J. Moore of The Athletic on Saturday night after the Iowa State press conference, and he just said, I stand by what I said at the press conference. Didn't give anything else there. Depending on when you're listening to this, we may have an, a new layer to it because we're recording this on Monday morning. Jerome Tang has a press conference, regularly scheduled press conference, at 2 o'clock. So he's going to get asked about it. We'll see what he says. But that's the situation that we have. Um your thoughts, Derek, on how this story has evolved and the reactions from both sides, which 
frankly, and I know I've been a part of it, but frankly, uh, it, it is just getting exhausting now because I think there has been overreaction on both sides. I think some of the sanctimonious grandstanding on Iowa State's side has been clearly over the top, which is why I poke fun at it. And then, you know, on the other side, yes, is there some tribalism and just jumping to, hey, we're going to latch on here and completely defend our guy and believe our guy? Yes, there is. Um, but I would suggest this is just a the same thing that we always see with like any issue in the country right now where everybody just jumps in vehemently defends their guy and then it's just turned into kind of a jumbled mess and a big distraction. Yeah, and and like most of those instances, I, I'm, I assume this will just organically quiet it and go away without really any further discussion or ramifications. Unless Jerome Tang chooses to respond to his comments from T.J. Otzelberger, I will say I do not think Kansas State wanted this public. If Jerome Tate wanted a public, he could have made it public himself. I know going through media is not really his speed, uh, at least on a situation like this. So I, I don't think that they wanted it to unfold out in the public eye because of it. On Iowa State's behalf, uh, whether they did it or they did not, I think they used this as a public grandstanding moment because they knew it would likely help them win the narrative, which if you look nationally, it, they are winning this public narrative at the moment. They are. Without, they are. 100% are. I, I watched some of the national shows on Saturday. They are, they are 100% winning this narrative. And even if you listen to Fran, patreon.com slash Fremont, to hear Fran talk about it, you know, he wasn't quite as strong as like the drunk Jeff Goodmans of the world on the Field of 68 podcast, but he, you know, they are winning the narrative 100%. Yeah. And it's fair to for them to, well, I don't know if fair is the right word, but they had an opportunity to go out in public grandstand because they know that there's probably going to be little to no recourse because something like this is going to be pretty tough to prove one way or the other. And without proof, everyone's going to say Kansas State levied baseless accusations. So I think Iowa State jumped on an opportunity which was um, had little risk but would win them the narrative. And now they're the you know, getting a lot of pup because of it, positive pup. And they just beat KU 5-2 and two in the league. They got a lot going for them. So they, they jumped on an opportunity right or wrong and, and are doing what they are doing because of it. Kansas State's kind of looking like a wounded animal a little bit because they are not winning the narrative and just lost back-to-back road games with the second one not being competitive. Uh, it's just, I will say, not that I care, not that the Kansas State coach that cares. It's a little bit of a rough look from a, perception standpoint right now uh but just go and win games and it'll go away and um and iowa state if they were doing it they probably are doing it anymore yeah and i, I do want to note i mean chris williams tweet said i i think they yelled cheating while their efforts do we have proof is that is that our proof is one tweet that someone i think saw that or heard that in a loud arena that's, I mean, look, you very well may have seen that. I, I don't have proof of that. That's just a, an accusation. It's another allegation, right? I need I need proof. And I got Iowa State saying, what is factual is that? Uh, I got Iowa State saying, this didn't happen. I don't have proof of that. Uh, that's just their word. Everybody's buying their word. I don't, I don't have proof that nothing happened. They haven't proven anything to me other than make a blanket statement of denial, which, of course, you're going to deny. 
even if you're guilty, you're going to deny. So look, it's ridiculous. You know, Otzelberger after the Iowa State game against Kansas State also said there's a point in time where things are said between coaches that need to stay that way. And that's where I'm going to keep it. And then on Saturday, look what he did. And I think, John, John, what are your thoughts on this? He reads a written statement. That is embarrassing. Like, why, why, are you, why do you need a written statement to address this? To read something? Like, I, I'm in PR. You don't need a written statement to address that if you're going to take it on. You know, that, that you have to, if you have to read a written statement, you have to stick to a script. And th- to me, that's, that's a bad move. So, anyways, I thought you did a nice job reading his statement. If you you needed your voice to shake a little bit more, though, because uh, I was well, I was trying. I tried to I tried to incorporate a little bit of a shake. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, a little you know shakiness there. Um, so I mean, the state the statement part is weird, but I, I will say this somewhat in defense of T.J. Otzelberger. I, I based on the fact that Seth Davis talked to Jamie Pollard, based on what we know about Jamie Pollard himself. And the fact that it then was a written statement, I do feel like this directive very much came from Pollard. Yeah. Now, that's just a guess. I don't have the inside info on that, but it, it definitely reeks of something that was told that he really needed to do here. Yeah. So, yeah. in yeah, fairness to him, yeah, it definitely feels like a Jamie Pollard uh, motive to uh, to spearhead that and, and force him to take that on. So. I don't know a ton about Otzelberger other than he wears two sizes, two small polos and does bicep curls all day, apparently. But uh, that's really all I know about him. So I'm sure he was forced by Pollard to to do that. Um, I don't know. I just wish Iowa State fans would shut the hell up. Like, is there a way to get them off my Twitter feed? Can I just block all Iowa State fans from appearing? I mean, they will not shut up about this. And uh, it's it's time to move on. And uh, unfortunately, you know, they keep saying Jerome Tang needs to make an apology, et cetera. He never, he never made this public, et cetera. Uh, so I, I don't think he needs to go out and make any sort of apology, uh, especially because there's been no proof that he wasn't correct in their assessment of what happened. So we'll see what happens. Well, I mean, that's that's definitely where my frustration lies, too. I mean, look, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. If the rules were reversed, I mean, we would definitely have a lot of fans that were very upset about it and saying things. I mean, I wouldn't deny that for a second, but, you know, I, it, going to the point where, yes, we're demanding apologies, you know, I saw one, one of them that I responded to was that, like, I don't think Jerome Tang understands the gravity of his actions here. And I'm like, the gravity of his actions, again, he wanted to keep it, he tried to keep it all behind closed doors. Like, yeah. That was the tweet that said he had a duty or whatever. Right. There there was duty, gravity of actions. It's like, guys, we don't need a congressional fucking hearing about Jerome Tang, his handshake with TJ Otzelberger and what happened there. Like, that's the, like, just calm down with the sanctimonious crap. Like, that's that's what gets me here with this. Like, I can admit, like, I'll even say, I mean, the pivot for me here on this point is, guys, like, I still, I love Jerome Tang. I absolutely love Jerome Tang, and I don't think that he would make this a big deal if it wasn't something that he firmly 100% believed was happening. Uh, he's absolutely earned that credibility with me. But I would also say, you know, Derek said, like, hey, if they were asking me for advice, which clearly they're asking none of us for advice, and that's fine, but I would say, like, hey, it may be time to just kind of get back to basketball. I mean, my thought would be, I may have said that to them at the under, I, I would have said that to them at the under eight timeout, you know, in like a one possession road game. Like, hey, I 
I know you guys are suspicious of this. I know that you feel like this is happening. I don't know that turning it into a thing at the under eight media timeout is going to be the best way to go about it. I might just, I don't know, turn the huddle around the other way. Like just try to get a stand, have somebody stand up there with a big sheet or something like that to get rid of it temporarily and then deal with it after the game. I'm not saying it's all been handled perfectly uh, from K-State's point. So again, I think there is fault on both sides here, but yeah, it's just this, you know, we need to bring in the FBI to investigate K-State and put Jerome Tang in a torture chamber and force him to apologize to TJ Otzelberger. I mean, it's that stuff that I just, I can't stand in all of this. So it's kind of, I would agree. And where I am at is about that same place. Like Iowa state, like chill, chill out. Like, and for Kansas state, if you're giving me, if you're asking me for advice, maybe try to, you know, put the, put the focus where the focus should be, control what you can control, those types of things. I would get back to to that. And I would also say uh, the unfortunate part of this where things really got out of hand, um, I think, is when it went public. And I don't think that the Kansas State coaching staff wanted it public. I'm not, I'm not besmirching anyone for making it public. If they had the information, whatever, go for it. But that's where this thing spiraled because I think it going public gave everyone, at least on the Iowa state side of things and the national media side of things, the impression that Kansas state was directly leaking it. And I can say, I don't think I'm 99.9% certain from my interactions that they did not want this to go public, yeah. that, that they didn't want this out there. Yeah. No, I certainly don't think they wanted it out in the public eye. Now, I will say to agree to John's point, I think the best way to have handled this is probably behind the scenes and not have done something during the game. Uh, and then in the handshake line, because that made it the story then. People were then replaying the video, Jerome Tang's motions, et cetera. They were digging in, trying to figure it out. And if you don't do that in the game and you just adjust your huddle, because I think they were on alert of something going into the game that Iowa State had been doing this, allegedly, that uh, you just adjust during that game and you let the league office handle it behind the scenes and you report it and, you know, turn in any evidence that you have in that way. So I think it probably would have been best if, if Jerome Tang did not do anything during the game about it. That's, that's probably, you know, I would say maybe a mistake on his end, but outside of that, I mean, look, I, I don't know, you know, Otzelberger, when Jerome Tang goes through the handshake line and is telling him about it, I mean, Otzelberger looks like he's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. We're definitely going to look into that. And then, like, he heard the accusation right then on Wednesday night, right? He didn't react in an emotional anger, which, look, if I'm innocent of something and somebody accuses me on the spot, like, you're spying on my huddle or you're recording, I'm going to get pissed. And I'm going to be anger on, angry on the spot. He looked like, oh, right right there? Oh, okay, yeah, let me, let me look into that. He looked nervous, right? Body language says a lot. And then three days later, he reads an angry written statement all defensive. What's that about? What's that say? Hold on. Think about it. Well, maybe we do need the congressional hearing. You know, I my question with that would be, what do you think? Like, so I, I imagine at a congressional hearing, Otts wouldn't just be wearing a polo, right? So like, does he tell his tailor like, hey, measure this thing and then just whack off like two inches of every single measurement? so that I can come out here with the same look. I mean, that would be my question at the Congress, you know, when he goes before Congress, does he, you know, purposely cut it two inches short on uh, on everything? 
Um, all right, so this is a week they – is it fair to say they need to go 2-0 and with Oklahoma yeah. at home playing at Oklahoma yeah. State? Is that how you're going to view this week? If you want to be in a good spot on the bubble or even off the bubble, anything short of 2-0 this week would be pretty disappointing considering what else is left on the table. And truth and Cole can probably attest this. I mean, or both of you, like at a loss at Oklahoma State, not only is that, oh man, you know, we don't get a pat our record, but it, it, that looks like a bad loss because of where they are at metrically. So that there, there's a couple games on the schedule this year that you just can't lose because of where they are on the metrics, and then the rest are well, this is an opportunity, especially at home for a quad one win, stuff like that. So Oklahoma is a great opportunity. Oklahoma State's just a game you can't lose. Yeah, I will say Oklahoma State is playing better now. Obviously, we saw what they did in Manhattan, and then they then go at home, and they had TCU beat, and we just saw that TCU team winning three overtimes on the road in Waco, uh, and then obviously Oklahoma State beats West Virginia by four in Stillwater this this last weekend. So they're, they are playing better. They're growing. They're a younger team, and and they're getting better. So it will be a, a really hard game, but it's a game you need to win. Oklahoma State is 137th in the net currently. I think it's a top 135 road win as a quad two if they're in the top 135. So they could still sneak into the quad two category depending upon how their season finishes. So we'll see in terms of road game. But yeah, no, it's a game you need to win. And the Oklahoma game on Tuesday night, being in Manhattan, look, you just you need to find a way to claw out seven or eight home wins out of your nine league games. This is a game you really need to win. It's going to be hard. Look, Oklahoma is a really good team, and they're going to be desperate. They just lost back-to-back home games to Texas and Texas Tech. They Texas Tech won you felt like they had, and they lose by one point. So the, they're going to be a desperate team. Both teams coming up back-to-back losses. The only difference is K-State lost its two on the road. They lost their two at home. So they know they got to get back one. Um, or Oklahoma could start entering the bubble picture. You know, they're they're still high up in the net rankings, and they have some good wins, but you know they 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 need this one too. So can say what to be ready to play. Your your net ranking in isolation doesn't really matter when it comes to resume. Uh, they usually just use that to to deter, determine quality and and non quality wins and losses. So if Oklahoma all they have at the end is to lean on their net score. I don't think that they're going to like that. So to Cool's point, they need to do some work. Yeah, and it looks like that they're two and four in quad ones and three and one in quad two. So I mean, really, their resume is not in terms of quad one and two victories. It's very similar to K State's. Yeah. So the, I don't think. I think the interesting part of it is when when committees do this stuff. Of what we've kind of learned is that, especially, and this is just a snapshot in time. I get that. But I don't know that a committee would look at Kansas State and Oklahoma that much differently at the moment. No, I think you're probably right. Um, so look, and I mean Oklahoma, they're they're 34th in the net right now. So you win this game, they could eventually still be a quad one win. You know, if they steal a couple big ones, they could jump into quad one territory for a home win. So uh, at worst, you're stacking another quad one to combine one of those victories onto the resume, which is important. At the end of the day, because of what's left on the schedule, I think that almost makes this a must-have 2-0 week more than anything. Because like, if you, if you don't get Oklahoma at home and you don't get Oklahoma State on the road, then you're talking about games further down the 
the schedule that are they're much more difficult than these two. Yeah, I, I will say it's not that Ken Palm is the be all end all, but Ken Palm has Oklahoma forty nine percent chance to win at Oklahoma State fifty six percent chance to win. There's only one game on the schedule the rest of the way that has a higher percentage than either of those two, and that is the West Virginia home game, which is at eighty one percent. So that emphasizes the point that Eric is making. Yeah, and I and I think I would agree with that. Like I don't know that besides at West Virginia, if there's a lot more winnable games left because I think Iowa State at home is tougher than Oklahoma at home. Maybe BYU at home is the same, but that's about it. Interestingly enough, uh, they, I mean the metrics still love BYU, so that one's still pretty tough. It's at thirty four percent at home, but the you got TCU at home at forty six percent, right? So that that is the next closest. Guess what game is the next closest outside of that? KU. It's the one coming up on Monday at Kansas, or with Kansas coming to uh, to Maine. I mean, yeah. and not not to belabor a point on Kansas, because I know we would probably be susceptible to going on a tangent there, but, and I think Bill Self knows this, by the way, that he's speaking at his press conferences, as this is the most gettable KU team in quite a while, just the way that they are composed. Yeah, it's still going to be an incredibly... Incredibly hard game, um, as always. So, yeah, you go 2-0 this week, you sit at 6-3 and three halfway through the league, right? And then you basically you basically need to go 3-6 and six down the stretch, and you're probably going to be in the tournament. You look nine, at the... Good. Nine feels good, but nine doesn't feel like a lock this year just because some of those wins are going to be kind of sour. Yeah, I mean, because, yeah, you got West Virginia still at home, so that would be a way to get to seven league wins, but it's not going to be a quality win, so then you're... Look, the, the quad one wins at home that I know will stick if you win them are BYU because BYU currently in the net is uh, number six. They're not falling out of the top 30. I don't uh, yeah, yeah, I know. So they're going to stay as a quad one win. So you beat them at home because you get them in Manhattan. Now you got to go there too. Uh, Iowa State is 10th in the net. They're going to probably stay a quad one win. So if you beat them at home, there's a couple quad one wins. TCU will be on the fringe. Uh, I don't TCU is 30 right now. So they're right on the fringe of a quad one at home. And then KU obviously will stick as a quad one. They're 12th and then at, so you have four home games that are going to be quad one opportunities potentially. Yeah. And you almost have to beat BYU and Iowa state because of that. Yeah. And if you do that, you're, you probably have four quad one wins. You'd probably like to get a third to get to five overall in the season. Not, yeah. But I mean, Providence has got a chance, man. Yeah, I wish that they just keep teetering. They uh, they they jumped into the quad one territory the other day. They have more. Of a chance. They have more of a chance than Villanova. Now. They do. Yeah, Providence is now fifty one in the net. They got to get in the top fifty, and Villanova is on a, a losing tear right now. They're eleven and nine. They're forty third in the net. So yeah, they'd have to really go on. They're yeah, 11, I mean, I, they they're losing everything. But the funny thing is, is like, right? Actually, they're right there in the net to still be a quad one win if they just get one on hot streak. Yeah, they just got to get on a tear. Now, they had to play UConn. They lost by one at home against UConn. And um, they they've, they've had some tough matchups. Didn't they get blown out over the weekend? No, they actually lost in double overtime to Butler on the road. Oh, yeah, but that's not a good <laughs> Well, Butler's Butler's like 50th in the net. So, <laughs> so yeah, it's – yeah. Anyways, there's a chance Providence gets into that quad one territory. Okay. Uh, real quick thought on like, how do you think K State matches up with Oklahoma? What are the actual chances here? 
I like them only for it. I mean, there's more reason when I and I haven't really dug into it yet. I'm sure Cole already has, but for no other reason for me is that it's in Bramlage Coliseum. You're just coming off two bad losses. This is a get right game. This is the one. This is like a type of spot that the Sharps hammer hammer a team like Kansas State. Yeah, I mean, look, Oklahoma has some really nice pieces. Oway is a really good player. Uh, Uzan. Yeah. Yeah, Uzan's a good player, too. A uh, good point guard. And then uh, McCollum can really shoot it from the outside. Look, I think they have four guys that shoot over 50% from the floor. Uh, three of them are bigs, though. John Hoogley, a guy that Bruce Weber actually recruited at Kansas State, starting center, uh, kind of a larger, bigger center that they have. And so they have, they have some really nice pieces. They've got talent. Suarez, a transfer from Oregon. I like the way their roster is composed. You look at them offensively, they're 54th in Ken Palm. Defensively, they're 27th. According to Bart Torvik, I, th- I think I had their their turnover rate of opponents is right around like 140th. So they're not a team that's going to force you into a ton of turnovers, which will be a nice break for Kansas State after going up against the number three and number one turnover rate teams in the country and forcing you into mistakes. So uh, that'll be nice. Now Oklahoma's top 50 in offensive rebounding percentage. Obviously, K-State has to be better on the defensive glass. But uh, I think this will probably be K-State maybe like minus one or so on the betting line. I'm sure it'll come out later today. Uh, but it's going to be close to a pick I would guess. All right. Get to Bramlage, everybody. Uh, it is it is definitely a big one. And uh, let's pick ourselves up off the mat here. Get your 360 vodka, your Ben Holiday bottled and bond bourbon ready to uh, to watch the game on Tuesday and on Saturday, uh, of course. Make sure to have that on hand and be rocking your home field apparel, homefieldapparel.com. Promo code 3MOD23 if uh, you want to get 15% off your first order there. Uh, appreciate Nick Springer behind the scenes. For Derek Young and Cole Manbeck, I'm John Kurtz. Thanks for listening to another 3MOD. Thank you for listening to KC Sports Network. We appreciate your support. Don't forget to hit that follow button and leave us a review if you like what you heard. You can find all six of our channels covering the Chiefs, Royals, Sporting KC, and the KC Current, plus KU, K-State, or Mizzou by searching KCSN wherever you listen to podcasts. We're also on YouTube. Entertain. Educate. Inform. KC Sports Network.